Slender Boys to Cinemen, episode 37. Yes, 37. 37. Correct. Always a degree of uncertainty every time, <laughs> even though I ask you about six times what the number of the episode is. I check our own Spotify account yeah, before yeah. recording a new one. <laughs> That's where the majority of the listens come from. Just <laughs> accidentally clicking on the play as we yeah, try to yeah, find yeah. out what number episode we are. Uh, I hope you're well, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. This week, Ridley Scott's Napoleon. Yes. And in the spirit of the upcoming discussion, we will also preface that yes. with a discussion on the historical epic. Oh, yeah. Whilst dabbling on the work of Ridley Scott himself. Yeah, who's, I mean, no stranger to the historical epic. No. I think of no. all the genres, that's the one he's attempted the most. And yeah. By attempted successfully sometimes. Anyway. Oh, yeah. I mean, that. I think that sort of defined his work as perhaps it's not as iconic as his work in sort of sci fi. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, I think you're right. I think just behind that is his work yeah. in the historical epics. So Definitely, yeah, yeah. Looking forward to chatting about that. We are, we are both looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. I uh, should say that we neither of us had time to watch the Napoleon uh, film from 1927. Uh, I looked it up. It's over five hours long. Yeah. That's mental. It is mental. Uh, I have it earmarked to buy, but, I, but as you said, it just it just you know so daunting. Of, after an evening of work, there's no chance that I'm going to sit in for five hours. Yeah, apparently Ridley Scott even tried and and failed to watch it. Really? Uh, yep. <laughs> he oh, said, wow. "I'll be honest, I struggled to get through it." That was like a quote from him, <laughs> and he <laughs> just made the he I mean, just made the new one. That doesn't look good on him, but at the same time, I quite admire him for being honest about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, there's such a, there must be such a temptation, like when you're being interviewed about those kinds of things by people that clearly know their shit, just to play along. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as we'll talk about later on, Ridley Scott isn't really in the habit of playing along. Certainly in his <laughs> twilight years. <laughs> no, yeah, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> right, let's do it. Let's do it. Questing the cinematic Okay, the historical epic. Yep. Uh, a genre film that sort of existed almost since the inception of the medium. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a genre that attempts to sort of recapture a period of history or very much a history that surrounds a certain individual that has been made iconic for whatever reason mm. and bring it forward into... Yeah, in sort of a two-and-a-half-hour-long spectacle, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I think there's been, you know, there's examples of really early films being really successful at that, like the original Ben Hur, uh, oh, gotcha. I can think of. Yeah, yeah. And then the remake won 11 Oscars, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I mean, it bows well for it. They, they kind of call it swords and sandals, don't they? There was mm. that sort of a term for it. Um, often incredibly costly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like the, the act of recreating a, a period of history which is. Not, I guess, yeah, under researched or just you know, because of how long ago it was, shrouded in mystery. You have to make a lot of stuff up, and obviously, to society today is in no way visually <laughs> doesn't lend itself to it, apart from maybe like Morocco or something, which is where they usually film these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so it's yeah, quite unique uh, and very expensive and can go wildly wrong agreed there's something in that idea that you know of bringing sort of periods of history or sort of the lives of iconic or historically important individuals to to the big screen like it's like there's no other medium that sort of does it 
mm. so well. There is something already inherently cinematic about history. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that, that may be because of like the the older movies and this sort of the the sort of long standing existence of the historical epic that why I think that. But there is something just immediately cinematic to me about history. Yeah, I mean for a start, it you only get the good bits. You don't get the boring bits in between, right? No. You only the stuff that's written is the stuff that's and the the stuff that kind of permeates through the ages is the stuff that is exciting i guess so is there's a story there already and we'll go go into that a little bit later on about the nature of historical revisionism as well and how mm. it can like through t- tales and you know how these things get documented and then redocumented and how that can kind of produce a sort of chinese whisper effect yeah yeah uh, but yeah i think i think a large part of the sort of inherent cinematicness of historical epics is because of the, the fact that the stories are have become embellished to the point of being exciting digestible f- bits of you know media i guess yeah <laughs> yeah and they often tend to underpin perhaps like a regional or national sense of pride yeah oh yeah which yeah, i God. think ridley yeah. scott is at the, the, the sort of end of in, in regards to napoleon <laughs> yeah <moment>. yeah <laughs> um, but you know they tend to embody like a spirit of something or an idea mm. you know if it's a, a film about someone like uh, nelson mandela for example yeah obviously that's going to embody a lot of the sort of values of his of his life uh, yeah. which are obviously shared by a lot of people mm. um so i think there's that element to it as well yeah, uh, yeah. and i think it's particularly sort of pertinent in the context discussion discussion with Napoleon. Yeah, um, yeah. Not only in the sort of backlash that Scott has received and steadfastly rebuffed, <laughs> as we'll discuss a little bit later on, um, but also in terms of the sort of, uh, the I guess, the French identity uh, and in yeah. that period of history. And I want to start with a question. Oh, all right. We've touched on why these films are such a staple in the medium. Yeah. But what is the sort of, what should be the aim of a historical biopic? It's a good question. I'm going to say, as my short answer is just similar to most other films out there, is it's a form of entertainment. I think I think that's secondary to it being a kind of form of hist- like a historical textbook almost. Of, of kind of laying out for the sort of general public what you know a potentially exciting interesting or like incredible event that happened but first and foremost it should i don't know i think i do think they're just entertainment ultimately i mean especially with like something like gladiator where you and i'll talk about gladiator a little bit more later on but it, it didn't happen uh you know and that, that's fine it, it's a bit of it's a slice of history set in a place that is kind of filled with genuine like research and you know they have like historical advisors on these kinds of things but the story is still very much a sort of work of narrative fiction and i think that's fine in mm. most cases uh there's obviously the the kind of the long answer is it's more complicated than that and there are certain films especially you know in the case of the biopic that maybe need to tread the line a little bit more carefully in terms of how they how they portray someone's life and mm. make, make making sure it's as kind of accurate and unbiased as possible. Uh, so I am kind of on the fence about it, but I think they should sort of just be entertainment a little bit. What are your thoughts on that? I think it boils down to the sort of who are these films for? You know, I was thinking about historical biopics 
in a sort of very small amount of research I did. Uh, probably shouldn't be acknowledging that, really. should pretend that we do loads. But, um, all, all week. All week. Spent. Sorry, yeah, all week. I've Took a week a of work. Of research. Yeah, yeah, I faked <laughs> yeah, being yeah. sick. Just, <laughs> please don't find me. No. Um, you know, if I think about something like Jackie, for example. Oh, yeah, okay. You know, I think... Pablo Lorraine, Natalie Portman, you know, they're not expecting that film to be like mass mainstream appeal. Mm. So I think that film perhaps has a little bit more freedom in how it interrogates the history of the time. Yeah, okay. uh, And can get a little bit closer to the feelings of uh, Jackie Kennedy. Yeah. And how those feelings are representative of the, you know, of the history of the time, the feelings of the time. Mm. Yeah. Whereas something like Gladiator, obviously it's very different in the sense that it's not obviously based in real events, as you said. Yeah. You know, the intention of that film is, I think, to, is to be exciting and to get as many people on their brasses on the seats. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a successful blockbuster, but it's a blockbuster. Um, it's funny, actually. Yeah, you're right. It's not as, it isn't as clear cut as a historical epic should do this. It should be, it's very much based on the history they're trying to. To set themselves in, I suppose, because Jackie is. Oh, I love Jackie. I forgot how much film. I love. Yeah, Jackie. I completely yeah. forgot about it uh, because it's just not something you know. You watch so many films. Obviously, so many of them are just going to disappear into your mind until they get mentioned. And yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about an interesting sort of film to counter the big ones, and that was yeah. the first thing that popped to my head in terms of a recent example. Yeah. But I do think it's interesting because. You know, I, I'm sort of with you in, in some ways because I don't think it's a sort of mainstream film's job to satisfy history buffs and historians. Yeah, they're not there to be a, like a Wikipedia page. No, I they? think fundamentally, yeah. you know, they're only going to make a tiny percentage of your audience and mm. and that isn't going to be enough to make your money back. So in yeah. the current model of the way things are, it's just not feasible to make a film that is like punishingly detailed in its representation or historically accurate sorry in its representation of a period or time or an individual etc yeah however i do think the flip side to the argument is is that for many people you know these films are going to be the only relationship that mass audiences are going to have with these characters mm, okay. and the, there may be an argument there that there's a certain responsibility on the part of the filmmaker to be authentic as possible yeah, okay. to sort of at least impart something on the on on the audience. Hmm. But again, you know, in the digital age, it's not hard, is it? If you if you want to know more, you can just go on the internet and and look. And you yeah. know, and we keep mentioning Scott in the in his interviews about Napoleon, but he's been very explicit in that he's not. Yeah. you know, he's not bothered that the film is historically accurate. Oh no, no, um, he's not. He's got a great or inaccurate. Sorry, he, he's yeah. He basically said. Uh, to his his answer to history buffs and this is like a verbatim quote from him by the way uh, he's like were you there no well fuck off then I'm not joking that's what he said <laughs> It's and he's sort of I kind of think he's sort of right and it kind of goes back to what, he, what I was saying earlier about you know like <laughs> Yeah, about the fact that history gets written and rewritten and it gets muddied and to the point where we can have certain things about a person that you know that are factually completely accurate and then other things are slightly less certain especially in the case of you know a military leader where a lot of their prowess it could have been influenced by propaganda as well so what we have now could could well be and I'm not I'm not without me getting conspiratorial like there are certain things about for example napoleon that we do know in, you know, for fact because it wasn't 
I mean, it was a couple of hundred years ago. For yeah, fair. It's, not, it's not as, yeah, it's not as... But it's not like 11 AD, is it? No, exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah, you're right, There maybe there is a certain responsibility on, you know, especially somewhat like a titan, like Ridley Scott getting given $200 million. You've got to realise that maybe there are a, a large portion of your audience, this is going to be the main experience of a significant human being, so... Why yeah. why muddy it that much? I, I, for the purposes of entertainment, it's t- it's tough. It's a hard one, and I've been thinking about it all day. Yeah, I don't know what the answer really is. I, I, do, I on the one hand, like I said earlier, I don't think necessarily it's it's down to them to provide that experience. Hmm. Mostly because I think there are obviously some people that it's going to really matter to them. You know, a lot of the historians and a lot of people that are really into the history or really passionate about it are going to be frustrated by it. Yeah, for the reasons we've said. You know, it's going to paint an incorrect picture of an individual that and therefore you know is gonna i guess muddy the the discourse around that individual in a way that might be quite frustrating for them Mm, um, and may cause some damage in (laughs) in, you know in terms of yeah you know the way that these people are represented uh so on that on that side I, i get it but i i just think you know this is a mainstream blockbuster movie and you know they are going to find ways to t- take this person's life, which is already, as we said before, as was often the case with the historical biopics, you know, inherently cinematic. Yeah. But it's not cinematic enough to not be subject to change. Mm. And those changes are going to be done with that view in mind to fit his life into a, a structure of storytelling that has been the dominant way of storytelling for the last you know, hundred years or so years yeah you know? yeah completely so yeah I, I think it's really interesting and when we were talking about this in the pub a couple of weeks ago weren't we because we were talking about Napoleon and and the sort of discourse around it you know the battle between sort of historical accuracy and, and commercial viability and yeah it, it is something that I think is going to rage particularly with this film more so than it has in many films yeah. it was almost the same with Braveheart actually I mean I was really young when Braveheart came out obviously I wasn't aware of the discourse like yeah. at all but I remember as I got older my dad would talk to me about it and he was really into history and he's part of the reason why I'm so into history and, and you know he would talk about how it was all bollocks and oh yeah yeah and you would hear people you know talk about it Braveheart because for a while it was one of those films it's like everyone's favourite film yeah, and they'd go off and talk about the things that happened, like the battle sequences or the presentation of of William Wallace, and and you know I I can sort of sort of sympathise with those that would find that really difficult because yeah, the misreading of the history can often lead to sort of uh, you know a sort of revisionism which influences the way that people perceive themselves, their national identity in the future. Yes, you know, yeah. I mean, we see that now. In terms of, we talk about this quite a lot because really this is just a fucking film podcast. But <laughs> you know the way that we think of empire and colonialism and all those sorts of things. Yeah. It's not necessarily that we've had films that have gone colonialism's brilliant, but <laughs> you know the, the way it's sort of marketed to people almost has sort yeah. of either convinced people to never think about it at all, yeah, because yeah. they don't need to know about it because they've been told about it, mm. or to view it as something positive by the virtue of obscuring all of the horrors and tyranny that were perpetuated under that sort of system so yeah I'm, i mean maybe it's a stretch to say that napoleon's going to cause similar things but i just think it isn't you know it's an extreme example obviously but it's just worth 
putting it in that context about how mainstream culture influences opinion, which yeah. can then lead to sort of the cultivation of a different facet of national identity. Yeah. So I can understand the anxiety and the frustration, perhaps. Mm. Uh, but I, at the same time, I, you know, I don't think uh, Scott deserves to be sort of harangued or, or, or harassed quite so much as he probably has. Yeah, no. I think it doesn't help that the film is very much like it, this is the this is the way things went. It doesn't attempt to say like this is a story or anything. Yeah, it's it very yeah. You know, it's literally called Napoleon. I think there was a working title which actually it might have been better for it to be called that. It was something. It was something weird like kit bag or something. Apparently, there's something to do with the way the soldiers carried their like stuff oh, around. Really? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, uh, if it had been called that, people probably wouldn't have been as bothered. But it's called Napoleon, and when yeah, you th- yeah. when you hear Napoleon, that is immediately it's Napoleon Bonaparte. Bonaparte that that's who you think of yeah it, he's he's so kind of <laughs> historically famous that he doesn't even need a surname no like that and and that the fact that the film is called that means that and there's an automatic thought there in like oh this is going to be a about his life yeah 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 um and you don't ever consider that there's going to be any embellishment there or yeah yeah left turns which <laughs> I've been doing a lot of reading since and there's a lot actually I mean we'll talk mm-hmm. about it later on but yeah, yeah it's crazy yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's crazy yeah and again that sort of embellishment and the, and the creation of a new identity doesn't always have to be something inherently negative by the way oh no no yeah um, but yeah no I just think it's, it's interesting in that context um, yeah I'd like to talk about a biopic that always annoyed me, actually, and I've already mentioned it. Oh, go on, yeah, yeah. Was, which is Braveheart. Yeah, yeah. And the historical inaccuracies of it don't really bother me and haven't bothered me as I've got older. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's the manner in which they're employed. Okay. I f- and I think it's almost the same with The Patriot as well. In Another the sense that, Mel like... Mel Gibson film. Yeah, yeah Mel mm. Gibson, he doesn't distort the history necessarily to suit... A narrative structure that obviously he probably does but I feel like the main reason he does it is to elevate himself <laughs> okay yeah because he always plays the sort of lead character in, yeah in, in, I'm surprised the... he didn't play Jesus actually <laughs> yeah that was a surprise yeah <laughs> maybe he thought it was a step too far even for him <laughs> yeah maybe yeah. Um, but I just that's you know an issue for me mm. is that you know there's this sort of uh, elevation of the self through the sort of inhabiting this like an iconic certainly in the case of Braveheart yeah. an iconic national symbol yeah okay uh, and I'd be really interested to know what the Scottish take on Braveheart is, Braveheart is oh yeah yeah I mean I know I mean obviously he is a symbol of you know he's a symbol of defiance mm. he's a symbol you know he's, he's a symbol, he turned things around for, for Scotland for you know in this sort of in that period and, and the hostilities between Scotland and England and so I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that the Scottish don't deserve to have him as a national hero. Yeah, I'm yeah. just saying that Mel Gibson's presentation of that seems more occupied with elevating the self than giving it a sort of even remotely nuanced portrayal of Wallace himself. Yeah. Do you think it, it, that his representation of Wallace has led to quite a lot of common misconceptions about the guy? I reckon so. Yeah. It, 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 I, I, again, it's not something I tend to have many discussions with people about. Like, <laughs> imagine just being a, like a fucking house party. Not like I get invited to those anymore, but even when I was at the point <laughs> where I would have been. Yeah, I could do, yeah. yeah. If there's enough turn people. Turn with like loads of like, yeah, like, like people in their 20s and just be like, what do you think about the sort of 
the representation of William Wallace and Braveheart? And does it have does it have any sort of uh, does it foster any contemporary issues? <laughs> yeah, I imagine they probably asked me to stay. Oh and yeah, DJ yeah, all yeah. night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stop the music. Yeah, yeah. This guy's got something to say about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to ask questions about Braveheart for the duration <laughs> of the house party. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? I, I just think there's something sort of like odd about it. And even in the films that he's not involved in, like Passion of the Christ, it just feels like you can feel his presence. Yeah, you know. I mean, the Passion of the Christ is an odd one. There's a bit in the. Uh... There's a bit in that I was talking about to you about before the podcast. Uh, I don't remember it very well, but I'm fairly sure that there's an insinuation that Jesus invented the chair, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were, <laughs> which is a little bit of historical revisionism. I don't think. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just love the idea. It's like what? apart from turning like water into wine and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, he made. A, he came up with chairs. <laughs> He's the, he was the one. Yeah, yeah. Everyone just sat around on the floor until he came along. Yeah, yeah. Like uncomfortable sort of back problems. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, like, Jay, what's that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's annoying that the guy that invented lumbar support isn't held in as high regard, really. No, you really, know, yeah. You know. I, I mean, I might be wrong. I, I might have... The Last Supper would have been a shitter painting, <laughs> wouldn't it? If... <laughs> just sat around a campfire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> toasting marshmallows. Yeah, eating beans with their hands. <laughs> I I might be wrong, uh, and um, I'm sure classic we'll be... Mel Gibson revisionism. Yeah, there. yeah. It's just, but I mean, in broader context, is an, an odd one. That is a strange one because that did take place a very long time ago, and there's a lot of sort of religious. I mean, an entire, an entire religion was born out of those uh, of those events, right? Uh, yeah. And so it, that is a really odd one because um, he's a big Christian, isn't he? Yeah, uh, Mel Gibson. Yeah, yeah. He's um, also not a big fan of the English either. Oh, really? Okay. Would add that to another. Says, says a lot about his sort of a lot of the. And again, it's I don't take no fucking I don't care what Mel Gibson thinks about English. People yeah. are entitled to dislike the English if they yeah, want. But, fair enough. Yeah, but. Uh, I just think it's funny, like, he did a film, Gallipoli, which I don't know if he directed, but he was in it, and there's a lot of, like, ribbing the English there. Obviously, that was a huge, uh, costly campaign for the Anzacs. That, so oh, right, yeah. maybe there's a lot of frustration on the part of that, which would be sort of justified, really. But then there's obviously Braveheart, which is obviously very anti-English, very pro. Yeah. Um, Scottish, again, whatever. Not too worried about that. And then there's... Patriot, the Patriot, which is again the Revolutionary <laughs> War against the English. Yeah, and yeah. He seems to be quite enjoying stoving English people's heads in with a musket, with the end of a musket. Um, <laughs> I don't know, like maybe it just that's that's what he wanted to do was rag on the English. And as much as I sort of don't really like Mel Gibson and find his sort of egoism terrifying and his face terrifying. Uh, yeah, his actions and and his ideologies. Yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff. <laughs> his about his it. religious ideology terrifying. Not great. Yeah, um, I. I you know, I I don't necessarily mind that, but it's you know, it's just interesting to me. Yeah, I think he's he's a I mean he's such a controversial guy and it's so odd that he's he's the one to make what is often considered the definitive you, you know, portrayal of the passion of Jesus, right? Is he writing a sequel? Uh I I sort of kept seeing for a long time he probably for just, some reason on my Instagram feed just him at like 
religious sort of like festivals and he's just sat there going I'm writing Passion of the Christ too and there's just <laughs> the people in the audience go fucking mental for it really yeah 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 I mean that's it's odd a tough sequel tough you, thing to follow how's it going to go from there I mean there are four books however if you read them same story four times so yeah. he's a bit stuck there I don't yeah, know what yeah. he's going to do after that um, is it the Passion of uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know do 13 of them about maybe all the disciples maybe ninjas in it yeah maybe I mean, yeah. who cares? If, uh, if if Jesus can invent the chair, there can be ninjas in yeah, yeah, Jerusalem yeah. Exactly. in yeah, yeah. 30 AD. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to steal his design for the chair. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've also just realised there's a historical inaccuracy with our version of Passion of the Christ too. Why would the ninjas need chairs? I don't think Jap- in Japanese culture at that time anyway, they would use chairs. No, they? probably not. Sat on no. the floor, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. God, famously. Yeah. Fuck. I've already fucked it. <laughs> Back well, to the drawing board. Mel, if you're listening. Sorry, Mel, yeah. Ninjas You've trusted us to... Yeah, yeah, the ninjas are gone. Maybe you can think of something, something else yeah, in, in yeah. their place, and then the script won't need to change. It'll just be a find and replace ninjas yeah, yeah. with, uh, I don't know, uh, sea <laughs> As long monsters. as he can play that character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be him this time. Jim yeah. Gavazil's too old, too old to <laughs> yeah. play Jesus. You can't play him anymore. Mel's yeah. going to have to play himself. Yeah, Mel's coming. <laughs> Mel's coming in. Yeah. Drafting big Mel in. There's a link between uh, old Mel and uh, and Napoleon and that Joaquin Phoenix is in the film Signs, which I uh, actually <laughs> a bit of a tenuous link obviously. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I like sides. Yeah, same. I think it's whacking fe- one of whacking Phoenix's low key best performances. It is good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he just plays this kind of slightly out of shape uncle. Yeah, yeah. Who, who gets really involved in like invested in the like the the story of the aliens and yeah, stuff. He's yeah. really excited. I, I love it. I think it's great. I like yeah. that movie. Yeah, yeah. I've got a real soft spot for it. Yeah. Um, with regards to historical revisionism, I have tried and failed to think of any others. I mean, like. In terms of historical epics, I mean, I'm thinking. I always kind of think of films like Troy, which I'm assuming is littered with. But then that that film is sort of rooted in mythology as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, it, the, does it matter if it's kind of got a? I guess you um, can take more liberties there, can't you? Yeah, if it's magical realism, does it matter? As Although much? the magical realism is attributed to, to the culture, isn't it? So I guess there's something yeah, there. But yeah, that's yeah, that's true. I was thinking like maybe like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I really like. Yeah, but like same. there's something so lazy about the sort of way they frame the geography of England. Oh, I love yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. they arrive in Dover, yeah, and to get to Nottingham they go via Hadrian's Wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is just fucking that is lazy. Oh, I love yeah. I think it's so funny that that but. There's something sort of slapstick about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which yeah, is more which forgiving for yeah, it, isn't yeah. it? And also, yeah, Robin Hood itself, nobody knows if he ever really existed. Uh, yeah, he yeah, might have true. done, apparently, or he would, was based on another figure. But again, yeah, you can take so much more liberties with... As soon as there's a folklore element to it, yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. it's fair game. You know what I mean? Like, it's an interpretation. Yeah. It's like a Renaissance painting. It's like saying... That relationship's painting ship because Cupid's in it. Cupid it wasn't. There was never children with bows and arrows. Like yeah, it's yeah. that. That's kind of like, or it's like criticizing gravity for being inaccurate in terms of like a lot of people did that. Do you remember when gravity came out? I was like, oh, it wouldn't. It would never happen. You're like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's yeah. what it, it's it's it is kind of like science fiction. You, you know, you have to treat it as such. And yeah, yeah, it's all about the sort of the. Uh, 
a hypothetical situation happening, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, I guess you know so much of why so many movies are so fucking enjoyable because you can mm. lose yourself in a situation or scenario that either didn't happen or probably yeah. won't happen. But yeah, why not entertain it for two hours? Yeah, and also it's the the root. It's rooted in in reality, in that apparently there's a lot of space to breathe about, <laughs> and that I'm not saying that any the you know it is trying to be accurate in that aspect but it, it there's a foundation there that they've then built on yeah yeah and they kind of have that sort of i guess yeah you taking creative liberties i think in a, in the sense i think it goes back to what you said about the sort of historical epics that are more rooted in mythology or mm. or a sort of you know or folklore yeah yeah uh, i think you can afford to be like that and i even think like you know, despite what I was saying earlier, I, I I'm still sort of on you know very much on the fence about it. But if the film is sort of sets itself up as not being too concerned about history from the get go, yeah, and makes no you know sort of allusions to the viewer that this the film is going to give them like a crash course in this individual period of history, yeah, you do sort of get away with it a little bit more. Mm, yeah, I think Blonde is an example of that. It is about someone, but it's about their private life, and therefore it's it, we don't nobody knows because nobody was with her twenty four seven. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, weirdly, there's also a JFK bit in that, which is like of not course. not as forgiving to the man. Yeah, which yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of historical basis for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. it tries to get those things right in a sense. Um, but like, kind of going back to Jackie, almost. It's funny that like uh, it's played by the same actor. JFK oh, really? played with the same actor in both films. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and yeah, like this thing cast already in the weirdest way. Yeah, yeah, he can't <laughs> really like JFK. And he's he's going up for Hamlet. He's like, oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, in the case of Jackie, it's a lot more about her private life. In the case of Blonde, okay, like Marilyn Monroe, it's a lot more about her private life, and there's a lot of leeway there as well. Don't go overboard. <laughs> Obviously, I think maybe Blonde did go ever so slightly. Yeah, I still overboard. haven't seen it actually. It's pretty gruesome. Yeah, it doesn't heard. shy away from uh, her. You know, the things that happened to her, which were particularly nasty and quite, potentially like quite triggering, triggering for a lot of people. And yeah, I heard that was something that was very distressing for a lot of people. Yeah, it's really unglamorous as well, um, which is the opposite of Marilyn Monroe, which is, I guess, that's what it's trying to do. Yeah, but again, you can't call it like revisionism for the sake of entertainment because it's not. It's just it's kind of an interpretation of someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas with a film like you know, with something like Oppenheimer, that would be a lot more. It'd be a lot less forgiving. It'd be a lot more baffling if they retooled a lot about that guy right? yeah especially seeing as it's more you know more recent history but also there's something quite definitive about what he did that a lot of you know broadly speaking it's about sort of destruction which is inherently a bad thing right so to, yeah in an attempt to glorify that would just be like bizarre yeah i think you you know i think people will be a lot keener that you follow some semblance of truth or try to do it in a sort of respectful manner yeah, in certain situations, if it's if the sort of the very nature of the individual that the film is about experiences or is party to suffering, either on an individual or widespread basis. Yeah, yeah. When that starts to happen, when those when films focus on things like that, so in the case of of Blonde, I haven't seen the film, but I know that she had a very 
you know, a lot of very horrible things happened to her on the basis of yeah. uh, her love life. Yeah, and her uh, fame. And her fame that, yeah. and the way she was in one of the great horrors of the, of the time. You know, it was inconceivable that a woman could be, you know, talented mm. and, and just talented and, and intelligent. They had to be sort of dumb and, and a sex symbol. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in the case of, you know, Oppenheimer, obviously his invention led to the deaths of... Uh, hundreds of thousands of people and now has the world in a state constant state of sort of paralysis <laughs> yeah, yeah you know so two very different sort of or, you know kinds of terror and grief and suffering but you know when when <clears throat> you know you, you're making films about these kinds of people and these experiences and what it is they've done you know it, because of the very nature of what they've done, it's going to make people follow these things a lot closer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, if you think about like Oppenheimer, like a lot of people criticise on the basis of not having enough from the sort of Japanese perspective. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And not really focusing on the sort of horror and suffering that he was party to, regardless yeah. of you know what he thought and felt during the creation of the atomic bomb. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something thinking about it I mean I think we were thinking about doing a, a retrospective weren't we of the year and talking about some of our, some of our opinions have changed oh that's right yeah you know, that's something that I would like to talk about on that basis because I think it has gnawed on me a little bit oh right in a way yeah. that a lot of Nolan's films do like I enjoy them <laughs> and then I think about them more and more and I think oh yeah and I think that's happened to me with with Oppenheimer not enough to dis- dislike the film yeah I yeah to be clear but um, yeah I just think when when you situate a film that will you know, around individual that has been around again, you know, some kind yeah. of pain, torment, or suffering, either individual or collective. Then, yeah, people are gonna people are gonna <laughs> judge you a lot more if you take art, your liberties or add your own dash of artistic license. You know, mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that's right in a way. I think I think it is important that certain things are honoured. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I mean, what, have you seen? I haven't actually seen. It. Have you seen the Darkest Hour, the Winston Churchill thing? Uh, no, I haven't. Actually. Okay, I, I'd like to maybe watch that on that. You know, with that in mind, because my opinion on Churchill has changed quite drastically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, since I kind of first learned about him, because obviously he was on the Fiver, and that led to a lot of people saying, "Hang on a minute." Like there was all these aspects about him which which have previously been kind of buried. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. have now come to light, and uh, it's interesting reading about it. And uh, I mean, I haven't. I'd just be interested to see how that film portrays that, if at all. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a shame neither of us has watched it because it would have been quite good. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it is interesting, particularly in the context of him, because you know what we were talking about earlier in regards to Britain's colonial history. Mm. I think it's sort of oddly similar in the way we perceive Churchill. I mean, in England, he, you know, he's a sort of war hero. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's the wartime prime minister. He's the sort of the symbol of defiance against an all-powerful yes. German war machine, you know, exactly. which at the time was the most powerful force on the planet. And his grit and determination yeah. galvanised the British people. Mm. However, <laughs> he yeah. was a racist and a tyrant and someone that, you know, yeah. exploited the, the you know, the colonies and killed millions and millions of people. So and that's ignored. And yeah, that, that yeah, yeah. to me is 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 hugely significant in the in the makeup of him as an individual. Yeah. Uh and it infuriates me that it is so readily ignored in the pursuit of 
placating the kind of people like to whack off over pictures of Spitfires. You know? um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're right. And it's yeah. always interesting because those same people always talk about, oh, you can't revise history, and it's like, well, you've definitely yeah. you would fucking spit your fucking spam out your mouth if you saw someone even try and criticize Churchill on any kind of media platform. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny that I just think not to say that spam is the uh, is, is the food of you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Na- all nationalists and yeah, yeah, yeah nationalists yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, when I was when I ate meat I was partial to yeah. to spam so <laughs> I don't know I yeah I it, yeah the Churchill thing's curious and the history history is no longer written by the winners I think and which is quite important in this you know context of this discussion in that what I'd love to see is a, a portrait of a complex man yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, that would be, yeah, that would be the yeah. best outcome for me if the darkest hour is that and also good. I don't know. I don't know if it's any good. It, apparently, it's all right. Uh, a lot yeah. of people seem to like it. Um, you don't know if it's for the reasons we've mentioned. Exactly. And it's also yeah. worth pointing out with him that the moment the war ended, he was voted out. So. Oh right, okay. In a landslide defeat. Yeah. You know. There you go. And that says something, surely. Completely. About, yeah. 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 About the know. yeah about people's mindset at the time and yeah. and how that's forgotten. Based on, you know, obviously it was very good. Get him on a fiver. But yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about that in the context of, again, we're going further away from the historical biopics a little bit. <laughs> That's right. Um, not that Churchill isn't historical, but I was thinking about the theory of everything. Oh, God. I mean, that's wank. <laughs> yeah, um, I did not like that film at all. But, you know, that's based on a revised... I mean, I might be wrong, but I feel like I, I'm right in saying that it's based on a revised version of a autobiography by his wife... Yes, that is was a lot softer than the original yeah. version of uh, the autobiography she wrote because he wasn't faithful. No, and again, I'm not saying that his name should be. It's slightly different <laughs> to, to to Churchill, but obviously this man is is a huge figure in phys- physics. Right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know has has done a lot for that field, and obviously his his struggles with a debilitative disease mm-hmm, yeah. and being able to still be a giant in that field despite that that is of course inspirational yeah, there's yeah. no doubt about that but what we're talking about is the pursuit of a nuanced individual mm. someone that is you know isn't you know, infallible someone that makes mistakes does yeah. bad things and that film just completely ignores <laughs> yeah, it takes yeah, yeah. no risk yeah. to even suggest this is like a hundred, a 360 degree view of a human being. Yeah, it's like no. how great he was. Oh, feel sorry for him. Mm. And it's like, yeah, obviously he was great. And yeah, I do on a basic human level f- feel for him because why wouldn't I? Yeah. I mean, you'd be horrible. You'd be horrible not to. Mm. But the idea that he was like, he just shat gold his whole life is just not true. No, yeah. And I think this is something that, I mean, it's a very Oscar baity sort of like, you know, like, Sun, it's like sort of upper middle class post Sunday roast film, isn't it? Like yeah, that and like the King's yeah. Speech. Do you know what I mean? It's like oh, inoffensive. Yeah, you know, bland. We don't want any complexity. We want only the good stuff because the good stuff is what you know. It's that sort of escapism. And I think in the context of of historical revisionism, I think that's a real sin. Yeah, it's a sin when it's a, when they take liberties on the suffering element mm. that we talked about earlier. But it's also a sin when they use it as a form of escapism and they just cheapen or simplify the human experience. I, that does that does piss me off. Yeah, yeah, no, no, agreed. I, I definitely, especially the King's speech. I uh, I went to see that and I remember being so embarrassed that I didn't like it and that I kind of had those feelings towards it of being just like this is so bland 
and like kind of uninteresting and about about a member of the royal family and which i've i mean personally i find it really difficult to feel any sympathy towards her you know just because your dad got voted no he didn't even get voted just because your dad was king means you get to be it just doesn't make any sense to me (laughs) right (laughs) but yeah and but i was so embarrassed that i didn't like it on that basis i pretended to for about two years before i kind of built up a bit of a backbone about it and finally admitted like no no that was genuinely i did not a very good movie no and ignored a lot about that person as well Uh, just yeah that is yeah i agree and the theory i haven't seen the theory of everything since it came out, I don't think. I think it was on telly like a year later weirdly, or something. I think I, th- I could have sw- I could swear that I watched it for like the f- one of the first episodes of Cineboy Cinemen like way back when with Alf. Oh really? Oh yeah. wow! Okay, I have to, yeah. I have to ask him, but I'm I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, we watched it for that, and I remember both was like, "What the fuck are we doing? This is wank." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So shit. No, no. Um, it's just it's just like. You know, again, what you sort of talk about earlier, not to keep going in in circles, but the idea of revising an individual, then subsequently, you know, revising your view of them and Mm. that impacting your view of other things. Yeah. In the case of someone like the King's Speech, or indeed Winston Churchill, even we both haven't seen the film. (laughs) Um, But, you know, like that's all to me feels like that's what the intention is yeah you know it's not about being honest it's about being look how great it is isn't it great to be british yeah you know, no, yeah i don't want a fucking film that does that like, no i don't I, think. I can find that sort of like airheaded patriotism anywhere yeah Do you know what i mean yeah. I, don't, I don't necessarily come to film for that but if you don't like it don't watch it which is always the response isn't it yeah but yeah i will watch it because <laughs> I watch films. Yeah, and I have a, and, and I'm concerned. I'm a, I'm you a, know, I'm a co-host. Of it's a, okay to be concerned about the effect it has on people's opinions of of, of a tyrant, like you say. Yeah, but I think that is okay to think that. And the darkest darkest hour smells like the theory of everything as well. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. it has that kind of. It, the good way to to find out about that would be to look at its reviews on like the Daily Mail, Daily Express website. Yeah, if they give yeah. it a good review, then you know that it's going to be like just like some sort of flag wavy masturbator thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, it's going to end with a, him big beaming smile with a big cigar in his mouth. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the, to him kind of raising both his arms to a big crowd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Very strange. Yeah. Yeah, I. Uh, so, yeah, moving, maybe moving back towards uh, the historical epic in general. And I mean, I, I'd like to talk about Gladiator a little bit more. Yeah, go for uh, it. And my, that effect, the effect that film had on me. Um, and I'm and the fact that I'm surprised to learn that it's not everyone's cup of tea either because I watched it like it was the first video I ever owned that was a 15. Yeah, Naughty. and I was not 15. Jesus Christ! Yeah, I know. Lock your parents up. <laughs> yeah, ring the police. Sophie, we're coming for you. Yeah, they they are the few people who were definitely going to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, why are you watching films you don't like? Well, because I'm a co-host of a podcast that no one listens to. Obviously, I'm going to watch films I don't like. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Um, but no, yeah, Gladiator was um, was I thought was incredible. Like, I actually, it's one of the the first times I've ever been swept away by a, a story of that ilk. Uh, I get it, it's my version of like Dr. Zhivago or bloody I, I don't know like Lawrence of Arabia or something. It had literally yeah. in my That's mind a great example. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um 
is sort of my version of that, I suppose. And a lot, what a lot of people, how they talk about something like Lawrence of Arabia or Doctor Who, it's my that's my equivalent. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it, it. What I like about Gladiator quite a bit is that in the spirit of films like Lawrence of Arabia, is that whatever sort of issues there are around the history of those films, mm. and I'm not sure as to the historical accuracy across the board in regards to Lawrence of Arabia, but there's something old school about the sort of nature of the historical epic that works in Gladiator. It just yeah. washes over you, sweeps over you. Yes, exactly. I mean, like, you know, in Lawrence Arabia, that opening fucking scene, you're in. Yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. You're just fucking in. I mean, David Lean's it's just you know, one of the great epic directors, mm. right? Yeah. Um, funnily enough, just not to take away from Gladiator. No, mate, no, no, go for but it, yeah. I watched... Lawrence Arabia. The last time I watched it was at my great nana's house, and uh, she had this quite small TV. And I remember you sort of going over to your great nana's to sort of like you know <laughs> say hello, you know, and, and yeah, yeah. eat a tonic's tea cakes and leave. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and she, it was just on, and oh, me yeah. and my dad just found ourselves. We just sat there for the whole three hours. Oh on wow! This small TV watching Lawrence Arabia. Oh man, that's amazing! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's they, lovely. They can lovely. have that effect on yeah, you. Yeah, and again, it just sucks you in. It doesn't mm. let go. And I think, you know, uh, Gladiator is sort of the same. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally think Lawrence Arabia is the better movie, but mm. I think Gladiator, by some margin, for me personally, mm. yeah. But Gladiator has it. it sort of um, harks back to that era of old school historical epics like Ben-Hur like yeah. Cleopatra like Spartacus you know yeah, like, yeah, yeah exactly yeah and even if it takes liberties in that context as you said before yeah it's not an actual piece of history per se no it's about it's about event an event or a series of well like the way Romans entertain themselves yeah that's the foundation a historical foundation and then you build a story around that, and you can include other aspects of you know Roman history, like the 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 way that their military strategy, for example, at the beginning, that opening scene shot just outside Gatwick, by the way. Was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, um, but uh, yeah, like uh, there's something great about Gladiator, which I feel like Scott had lightning in a bottle for that moment and never recaptures it. Uh, even in other films he's done since, which are good, like uh, that I like. And it's just like how good he could have been and can be and is in Gladiator about like just the way he handles the character and the way he sort of introduces you to uh, Maximus uh, and how kind of it is, no matter how broad and political the film goes and on rewatches actually the political stuff is probably the weakest aspect of Gladiator. But it doesn't matter because you're just watching, you know, you're watching like Russell Crowe uh, be this like really captivating very kind of almost like relatable very quiet and like a victim a, a great general but also like a victim of you know circumstance and just like he handles that so well in gladiator and to have it to surround this character with all these sort of trials is is just yeah really unique and also another good whacking phoenix performance as well oh, yeah yeah yeah. yeah, it is inherently cinematic. I mean, there are definitely liberties in the presentation of the gladiatorial arena. Yeah. Uh, because they didn't often kill each other, gladiators, did they? No, it was, it's more like wrestling than people think. Yeah, yeah. It was all staged. And quite, they fought animals quite a lot as well. Yeah, and it was the yeah. animals that died. Uh, 
apparently. Or because a good gladiator them. was hard to come by, so they want to keep them alive and yeah, relative yeah. good nick, didn't they? Exactly, but again, that yeah. that doesn't make a sort of heart in the mouth historical epic, does it? If they're sort of like tapping each other with blunt swords, yeah, yeah, you have to get and obliterated like... by a chariot with a fucking spike on it. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, why not? <laughs> that that's that's exactly it. And yeah, if uh, Maximus was sort of a we- well, like well paid in it, that would have been really unusual. yeah, yeah, yeah. So this <laughs> yeah. is all right actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the com- the central conflict is between him and the new emperor, and you know, and based on his relationship with the old emperor. Marcus Aurelius, who yeah. was a real guy, and yeah. Richard Paris played him. Right oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It contains two, I mean, <laughs> it's sort of funny. It contains two um, very well known British actors who have, who were heavy drinkers. Didn't <laughs> Oliver Reed? Oliver Reed die? Yes. In a drinking competition? I think it, Didn't yeah. Did he have a drinking competition whilst working on the film with some sailors? That's he it. Died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, apparently he'd been sober for a, a good while before that, and it was like a relapse, and it, it finished him off. Yeah. Fuck. I mean, that's what apparently. Yeah, I'm not reading off anything at the moment. Yeah, but I've, I think, re- I've read yeah. that somewhere before. Again, it could be bollocks. <laughs> it's funny we're talking about historical revisionism. We're probably doing it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just because of our inability to research things properly. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure that's the gist of it. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, I'm fairly sure that's it. Yeah, so you got Richard Harris and Oliver Reed, um, two yeah, kind of hardened British. Oh yeah, they were drinkers, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, veterans. Oh, veterans of the screen and and the and the bowl. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, got another thing that elevates Gladiator above a lot of other historical epics. I think is its soundtrack as well. It's so good. <laughs> Such a good soundtrack. Um, who yeah. did the soundtrack? It was Hans Zimmer, but like uh, okay. Hans Zimmer now, I annoys me slightly. But I still like his music. But um, there's something about Gladiator which was really special, and he was quite collaborative on it. Apparently, yeah, I think modern Hans Zimmer is he's almost broken out of the field of you know mm. being that film working in film scores. Like his film scores are sought after by people that aren't even necessarily that into movies. Like he's, yeah, he's broken into the mainstream almost he, didn't yeah. he play Coachella as well he did like, yeah. yeah he's sort of doing concerts and stuff yeah, whereas yeah. like you know you got the score work's still good it's not yeah. like a, but I just think that yeah there's something in that I guess that sort of mainstream appeal yeah he's been sounding like a twat he <laughs> sort of doesn't make him I don't know he's not as good yeah, I think there's just something that he used to do that he now doesn't anymore, which is... And it's the same thing, like, for his Black Hawk Down score. If you listen to that, it's got loads of, like, military instruments in it, and it's very, like, kind of action-y. Uh, and he, he holds true to a genre. And the same with Gladiator, like, a lot of the... Uh, you know, it's a lot of, kind of, choir work, for example, which would have, would have been what the instrumental, sort of, what the soundscape of the time presumably was. And he doesn't do that anymore. He just uses trumpets. All the time, and yeah, it's yeah. really annoying. But yeah, like low sort of droning, humming like string instruments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, you, you know, I think he did used to pay a little bit more attention to the film he was scoring. Well, there we go. But yeah, great, great soundtrack, mm. uh, unrivaled, and sequel soon. Yeah, I'm really worried about it. <laughs> I mean, Scott just doesn't give a shit, does he? No, I'm a bit, I d- even though this cast looks good, I'm a bit like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, old. Paul Mescal, right? Paul Mescal of, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, of uh, After Sun fame. Yeah, yeah. Don't know what... Big, big, his first foray into like a big budget movie. 
It's a gamble. I really oh, am. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. for this... him and for Scott. I mean, yeah. Scott. Pat, Scott's passing. He don't give a shit. No, he's made his. He's, he's made. made his you know, he's happy to keep pumping these out. But yeah, for everyone else involved, it is a gamble. Big time. I'm really worried about it. I think, especially because Gladiator has such a fantastic and definitive ending. Like it just, you know, it, he he gets he dies, <laughs> mm, yeah. and the film and Gladiator is good because of the what the reason that you're following such a captivating character, and I don't really care about. You know, what's his name? Lucius. I mean, he was good in it in the first one. Like, he was a good character, but I don't care what happens Is that to his him. Is his son now. or something? Uh, it, I think it's implied that it might be. He's technically the. I think he's the Emperor's boy. Uh, yeah. Commodus. Commodus' son. Um, but yeah, I, I don't care what happens to him. <laughs> already, <laughs> no, well, already I'm frightened, but I, you, know, you never know. It might I be mean, amazing. I mean, his work with, with the sort of alien sequels and prequels suggests that there is definite uh, room for mm. concern yeah I mean um, you know a lot of studio interference with those films are well documented but yeah you know, the, insist- the the existence of those films baffles me and um, even if I don't necessarily dislike them wholly I think yeah there there is definitely I can understand your concerns. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm glad he didn't make Blade Runner 2049, basically. That's what I'm kind of yeah, saying. Like, yeah, yeah, Although I do still think he has the potential to be great. Like, I love The Martian. I thought The Martian's really... Very... A, a real crowd pleaser, like, don't get me wrong, yeah, but it's yeah. just a good one you can chuck on. Yeah, you know? he does have that in him. He still has the occasional belter in him, and I yeah. think, you know, his, his work, you know, can't be understated. I mean, there was a time when he was, you know, his name was synonymous with someone who was pushing, you know, pushing the envelope yeah yeah completely yeah and to see him doing sequels and you know making films that aren't necessarily in keeping with that it's quite sad yeah you know he still has it in him to make the occasional belter even if it doesn't reinvent the wheel yeah i don't know i mean i think he needs to work with a good screenwriter really yeah uh i don't know who's writing gladiator 2 uh it might be the same fellow who worked on napoleon actually david scarper all right okay i'm not going to google it (laughs) <laughs> look it up <laughs> yeah if I'm right then uh, give us a like give us a five star review if not give us a four and a half star <laughs> review <laughs> yeah no I think I, th- I think you might be right with that mm, yeah talking about Scarper and Scott let's let's go on to Napoleon yes as we sort of said in the intro a lot of sort of discussion around the you know around the historical inaccuracy mm. a lot of discussion subsequent discussion on scott's response to that which is basically <laughs> go fuck yourself yeah, yeah and a lot of sort of you know again it, it was one of those films it was impossible to ignore the sort of the feelings around it um yeah. so going in i would be lying if i said i wasn't already expecting to not be blown away Mm, yeah, which I hate because <laughs> even if I ultimately wasn't blown away by the film, um, it makes you wonder how much of that is you know you being influenced by sort of exterior voices and mm, yeah, and how much that dictates your opinion going in and makes you realize how much of a fucking sheep you are. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, agreed. I, I you similar. Yeah, I went in. And I'd already, annoyingly, I'm a sucker for looking at reviews before the film comes out. Ooh. I really need to stop doing that. Yeah, you do. Yeah, because it's it's not not helpful at all. <laughs> um, no. And on that basis, I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would. <laughs> um, yeah. Because yeah, I yeah. I was can really, see that. Yeah, I was gearing up for another like like the counselor or something something like oh, really right. dull and boring. Um, 
and also I Napoleon for me is a, a bit of a historical blind spot. I didn't actually know an awful lot about him, uh, particularly because I struggle with that that particular portion of history. I just don't. I don't find it as interesting as other periods of history. Oh, we all have that, you know. Yeah, like it's periods just we like and don't like. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I, I, um, I, it's just so dense. There's so much about it, and yeah, about really like is. that kind of military strategy and political uh, monarch, you know, the, the monarchy and how you marry into each other's families, and it all gets it's a big tan- tangled mess. <laughs> um, so I steer clear of it, and on that basis, I thought it was going to be quite boring, but it wasn't. I was pleasantly surprised that actually did keep me quite hooked, at least. Yeah, there were moment, there were definite dips where, like, for a really long time, it focused on like his personal life. Not to say that, that particular bit wasn't interesting as well but it, it, there was like a bit right at the start i was like jesus this is going on this <laughs> you yeah, know, your, yeah, yeah your like the way you've met josephine and all of that kind of thing there was that was quite drawn out and yet the film felt quite butchered as well yeah know. yeah yeah i mean i think you know the, the scott has promised a, a, a mammoth cut to go on to onto apple films um, yeah, yeah. I think the film's like an hour and a half shorter for theatrical release yeah right? i mean it's two and a half hours and i think he wants to do a four hour version <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so that sounds about he's right going yeah. down he's going in he's going all in yeah yeah so the film definitely has that vibe in a similar way i mean a very different movie but to the justice league yeah the original justice league was a fucking mess uh the recut with the obviously additional footage didn't Stop, stop the film from having problems by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> but it definitely gave the film a sense of coherency that the original theatrical release didn't yes. have yeah. so I think calling it disjointed might seem at the moment a little bit harsh given the context and the, the upcoming four hour cut <laughs> uh, which funnily enough is ironic on the basis that he didn't want to watch the original Napoleon but he's almost made a film that yeah. long <laughs> yeah um, he's quite he's quite famous for redoing his films though like Blade Run's got like six or seven different films yeah 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 it? There's uh, fucking shockers in there in, in those cuts. Yeah, yeah. You really get a sense of the battle between the sort of studio and him. Yeah, oh yeah, maybe. exactly. Yeah, uh, Kingdom of Heaven is another really good example of his director's cut being loads better than the theatrical. Oh version. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I quite like his director's cut of that actually. Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, yeah. Some I forgot amazing. he directed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's got some bland acting in it, but some amazing battle sequences that are accentuated by his director's cut. Like, and I, I think. I'd be interested to see what the reception to his Napoleon, uh, or his kind of director's cut of Napoleon is uh, on that basis. Um, yeah. I, I mean, he might be a bit of a, a wizard in terms of how he wants to construct a film and the studio might have kind of had a hand in trimming it down to two and a half, maybe. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of discourse about films being too long and um, maybe that played into the minds of the to the studio heads. They were just like, we need to cut this down. Yeah, make yeah. it digestible uh, and get it out there. Yeah, um, which you know, I can understand from Scott's perspective would have been frustrating because you know he's at the stage of his life very much like Scorsese. I think Scott's a bit more sort of um, explosive in his not giving a shit, but you know he 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 definitely doesn't give a shit, and he's if you, you know he would happily make you watch a four hour movie. I think 
Mm, yeah. Um, but obviously the studios weren't having it. What becomes immediately apparent for me, though, in regards to how the film frames the history of Napoleon is that you know, the, there is a there's a distortion of history that he is absolutely reveling in. Mm. And I think that is almost with a view to accentuate Joaquin Phoenix's long-tried and tested ability to play sort of doughy-eyed, pathetically horny men lost in absurdity. You know, that (laughs) seems to be the sort of primary focus of his iteration, his version of Napoleon. Mm. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of focus on his tactical military prowess on the battlefield, uh, which sort of offsets the sort of uh, awkward, goofy little man besieged by mummy problems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that struggles to seemingly struggles to navigate the sort of complexities of the social and political upheaval, upheaval that dogged France at the time, uh, which again is another area of hot dispute in the film um, mm. because you know he was you know a leader of the country for a long time and obviously he would have assuming would assume sorry he would have showed some sort of some sort of acumen in the role I'd have thought mm, but yeah. the film doesn't really allow that to, to, to show itself I'd also think that it's bizarre that the film they decided to do this sort of whistle stop tour of his entire life and his rise to power fall to power and re-rise to power the brief return to power sorry yeah, that he yeah. gets after he um, returns back from his exile it's weird that they choose to do that and then treat that because obviously that's you know their their intention to cover this this guy's life, but the treatment of that guy's life in so many areas away from like his character as this awkward horny weirdo mm. feels so perfunctory. Yeah, like yeah. it's so like cookie cutter and paint by numbers. It's like background noise. It's relegated to the back just to sort of like move the film on. Yeah, it doesn't really yeah. sort of carry any sort of weight or consequence. To, yeah, there are entire there are like entire scenes that start with a like, subtitle and then just play out just to yeah just to bring the plot forward and it, those scenes in themselves are really nothing special no. at all and that happens quite a lot despite yeah. the apparently shortened runtime yeah, it's yeah. odd uh, it's just like oh you've okay you've skipped two years but what was that yeah what's happened in those fucking two years yeah like, yeah you know, like god like Again, that might be just the sort of part of the parcel of the theatrical release. Like maybe, maybe. there'll be a lot more detail, but mm. you know, the, from the cut we've got, the only thing the, what I can surmise is, is that it's just nowhere near enough background work done. Yeah, um, and I'm not just saying that from the perspective. You know, I know we've talked about you know the, the dilemma that historical biopics face in terms of you know how much of the history do they appease, how much sort of license do they take to sort of satisfy wider audiences. And I'm still on the fence about that, you know, but I just think in terms of like moving the, the narrative along and narratively, the, it just doesn't work. It's yeah, just boring, yeah. like, and it shouldn't be. I think it should have zeroed in in a specific period of his life. Oh, yeah, I think that so. That would have made more sense because you can dig really deep. You don't have to be so expansive. Then you don't have to treat the history like that. Mm, yeah, you agreed. Know? I think maybe one good point to have to maybe do that is his uh sort of venture into russia yeah that yeah. was the most interesting bit of the film for me like his struggles with the sort of the cold versus yeah, effectively they marched into russia and winter was on the horizon so yeah. they had to retreat yeah yeah but he wanted to march right in there was Make a, an example a, of yeah yeah, yeah there's yeah. a conflict there and and how they bested him by burning down the city that he wanted to conquer yeah i yeah. think that's great i mean 
that was that was the most interesting part of the film for me and to see that expanded i think would be great yeah i think uh, obviously yeah. you know they frame him as this sort of unbeatable general but that you know is where things started to turn around for him i think in mm. terms of being this sort of uh undefeatable of course he had defeats you know but it's like and the idea they frame it as this all conqueror is again it's sort of offset by the history there a little bit mm. <sighs> Yeah, I I agree. I think it would have been interesting to focus on something like that, or maybe like the few days before the Battle of Waterloo. Yeah, yeah. Do you know that what I mean? Like, that because that's that, a significant yeah. moment. That's the end of mm. Napoleon. Yeah, it's what he's most remembered for as well. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His defeat. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously, in military schools around the world, these like the Battle of Austerlitz and all those sorts of things are are, are still studied to this day. And maybe yeah. that would be an interesting thing to look at. And I like that they use the battles as almost like chapters in his life i thought yeah. that was quite cool that was good yeah i and liked that and the treatment of napoleon is this sort of conductor this sort of you know of a symphony of mm. you know the symphony sorry his orchestra being you know his his army and 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 having absolute control and yeah you know but even then there's fucking ridiculousness like with the lake that never happened oh yeah apparently it was just a series of small ponds yeah yeah it wasn't a big lake and it was this is one of the things that uh, was um, embellished by propaganda as well, so uh, that was that was the reason why that everyone thought he um, shot cannons into a lake and drowned a bunch. Of it. That was it was propaganda apparently. I mean, it looks fucking cool yeah. the content, from a cinematic perspective. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's but, yeah, wonderful. I'm glad it's in the film. <laughs> yeah, because it's yeah. great. It's a really great sequence. But um, I was quite dismayed to find out I didn't. Yeah, know, yeah. Actually. He wasn't there at the beheading of Marie Antoinette either. Uh, yeah, he was at Toulouse at the time. Yeah, doing this the siege, siege, yeah, yeah, yeah. conducting the siege, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, there's a good bit in it where I mean, I say good, it's horrendous, but it's really like gnarly and oddly watchable. Is when the horse gets the cannon, oh, cannonball yeah. to the fucking, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ, I was not expecting that. Like, yeah, it was, it was a sort of yeah. That's gratuitous, but sort of you couldn't take your eyes away. Kind of you, captivating. Yeah, I quite liked how. Although I know you said that he was a no, actually a notoriously shit horse rider. Yeah, yeah. A lot um, of the history historians and the history around it. He apparently, he never finished riding at military school. Oh he right, wasn't yeah. that good at riding his horse. <laughs> yeah. But like, I did like that the idea that he was actually quite nervous in the heat of battle. Yeah, and yeah. that he was actually quite flummoxed by all the chaos and how his strength definitely didn't lie front and centre. He yeah, was very yeah. much... Even though a, he did still ride and horseback and kill mm. people with his sword, I don't think that's something he really did. No. I, that It's strange to me that they included those because that didn't further the film at all. No. If anything, the bits where he was being pathetic and kind of like, yeah, this sort of weird, scrawny, horny man. <laughs> well, well, Relatable. It, yeah, it'd be, it'd be much better for you to... to to see him behind the battle. Yeah, I think this is, you know, there's definitely a sort of conflict of interest in how they want to represent Napoleon, I think, and it is only in the battle sequences where that conflict becomes more apparent. Yeah, yeah. On the one hand, like you say, is this sort of like seedy little freak Mm. who, you know, it's almost as if like destiny's dragging him along. You know, it's the only reason he rises to power because the film would have you think he was a fucking, you know, socially inept freak yeah you know yeah. just sort of dragged by this sort of divine hand to you know the, the but then in in the battle sequences he's this sort of like there's a part of it where it's like you know this strategic genius 
Yeah. And he's like, a bit nervy and a bit flummoxed, but he grabs his sword, gets on a horse and charges in, you know what I mean? Which is just like, I don't know, like it just feels like... There's a conflict. There is a conflict there yeah, completely, yeah. It's like, it feels like, I mean, I, I know it's not as simple as this because, you know, Scott's obviously a fucking clever guy and he's, you know, he's still got the chops like yeah as much as i sort of criticize elements of his more contemporary you know his recent work you know like he's still got the chops but it's like it almost feels as if it's like oh that'll look cool do that yeah yeah, that's it that's the only rationale for a lot of the decisions that are made in the formation of his character yeah like whether it's to sort of supplement the almost the sort of almost peep show levels of awkwardness between him and Josephine and <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. and how does that relationship is sort of abusive, loving, Symbi- codependent. Yeah, very symbiotic, I was just about to say. Bogged yeah. down by sort of sexual frustration on both sides. Mm, yeah. Um you know, like you know, the, it's sort of there's that and then there's oh but he's really brave. Yeah. And you know Oh, he's also—he's not great in the court or dealing with a political intrigue or any mm. of that sort of stuff. And it's like, well, pick a lane. Like, yeah. is he inept? I mean, you know, you can show all these sides to the character and not sort of double down so much on every part to the point mm. where it just feels like you're almost presenting three different people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right because I think the intention was to maybe uh, suggest that he was quite a complex guy, but it doesn't—it doesn't succeed in bringing that across. No. I think they could have been a lot more subtle with the way they did that, and even Whacking Phoenix's performance, good though it is, or it is a bit too sort of simpering and. Like you say, one like one extreme to the other yeah. sort of thing. Um, he needs to stop doing uh, something he does with his voice a lot, which is kind of annoying. Um, it, he's mumbling. It's a continuation from Bo is Afraid. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and I, I really liked him in Bo is Afraid. Like particularly the first hour, is, he, is, he is so fucking excellent. Yeah, but yeah. It's like I was talking to my friend earlier about this and the sort of career trajectory of 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 Joaquin Phoenix, and it's like. I was saying about how, again, talking about this sort of doughy-eyed, you know, mm. uh, horny freak that he seems to have played in a lot of films. And I was saying, yeah, it probably started with like, um, I can't remember what else I was saying. I was sort of saying, yeah, Bo is Afraid, yeah, Joker, yeah. even though mm. there's not so much horniness in the Joker and he's not so doughy-eyed and that he's more sort of like gaunt and hard-edged. But mm. she said, and it kind of started with her. <laughs> oh really? Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, but he's brilliant in her. He's good in her. It's I a like bit more her. refined. Yeah. Whereas in Bo is Afraid, obviously the sort of uh, the you know the the sort of uh, what's the word? The shackles are off. You know, he's he's doubling down on that, obviously to to suit the demands of Astor's yeah. sort of vision. But mm. you know, it feels like a continuation of it. I'm not. I wasn't that blown away by his performance. I'm going to be honest. No. Someone that really likes him, I like him as an actor a lot, but I'm just not convinced that he really does a great deal different. Weirdly, I, I would have preferred it if if he was more like Commodus. I thought that would have been a much better performance because in Gladiator, he's very well spoken. He's got an English accent in Gladiator, which is not noticeable because English is kind of the, the English accent is sort of the default historical accent, which everyone in Napoleon is playing towards, apart from Joaquin Phoenix, who just keeps his American accent. Yeah, yeah. Why? Do the Commodus thing again. I don't care if people criticise you for doing the same performance you did 20 years ago. I think it would have been better. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It would have suggested a lot more, you know, that sort of uh, military prowess and sort of give off the impression that you know what you're talking about, even if behind closed doors you're actually kind of pathetic. Yeah, yeah. Sort of yearning for an air kind of 
ruler like most kings are yeah um, like helplessly jealous of your partner's sexual yeah escapades yeah, yeah. No, man i don't know i just i agree kirby acts him out of the park i think yeah yeah she's great yeah, um, yeah i i was thinking the whole time like kevin eldon acts him out of the park as well <laughs> yeah, it was funny that he was in it <laughs> yeah, i do like yeah, kevin yeah. eldon same yeah. a criminally underrated in- English comedy actor. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, what you said? No, 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 I think you're right. No, no I'm glad you mentioned him actually because I wouldn't have done it. I'm glad that he has a slot on this podcast. Same. Yeah. yeah. Uh, tune in next week for our Kevin Elton <laughs> retrospective. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just felt like that she has him by the balls in every film, which I guess is sort of the point, probably. Um, but I felt like she had like a real sharpness and was sort of his foil, mm. but carried a lot of the more emotional moments of yeah, their relationship especially a lot the divorce like yeah yeah when that all happened you, his what he was doing was kind of a bit overblown but what the way she was reacting to it was really great um and and the later scenes as well where she's got you know quote unquote melancholia right and she's sort of basically just waiting to die and waiting for for him to sort of return and she's like simultaneously excited and scared of him yeah at, yeah. at that moment and she's like really conflicted there's she, she loves how close she is to him yeah like yeah she, she'll never be closer to anyone in the sense that she knows mm. all of their foibles all of their oddities and weirdness which is there is something strangely sort of com, com, sorry there is something strangely comforting about that yeah when you have yeah. someone like that but in the case of napoleon there are many but there's also, yeah, again, that fear uh, that he would, because he, he is sort of dictated by these sort of childlike impulses. Yeah, at yeah. At least in sort of Scott and Scarpa's view of him. Mm. And of course, then there's the, the 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 inability to perform sexually. Yeah, which, yeah. Which the film really doubles down on. Oh, yeah, in quite yeah. visceral. And again, I talk about that peep show levels of uncomfortable <laughs> yeah, fashion. Yeah. I quite, weirdly, like, at first I was like, whoa. And then after a while, I thought, this is actually sort of like, I don't know if this is intentionally funny, and I know there's been a lot that's been said about this. Yeah, yeah. But it's sort of one of the strengths, I think, of of the writing, because I don't think there's much strength in it, to be honest. Mm. Um, Sorry, Scott. Is it Scott or Dave? Dave Scarpa. Sorry, got your name wrong as well. (laughs) Fucking hell. (laughs) As if he he cared. But, uh, you know, like, um, the strength is that it sort of, it, it bottles up all of this sort of like frustration and then unleashes it in really bizarre ways yeah 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 uh, there's a couple of great moments between cathartic almost I think yeah. so yeah like the bit after she's cheated on him and he's come back uh, from Egypt for that very reason uh, there's a great discussion they have with each other which is a great example of what you're saying just there about the kind of like weird simmering frustration and that sort of power dynamics and, yeah, yeah and then the, yeah there's just there's a really strange thing he does with his there's a sound he makes when he wants sex as well which, oh, yeah. do you remember that bit yeah, it's yeah, yeah. straight Ridley Scott's an odd director when it comes to sex because he's never done like a kind of a sex scene that is sort of um, I guess enticing like they're always quite Cold. Yeah, <laughs> but, I yeah. mean, he's not. He, there's not a great deal of. Uh, it of, says something about him as a lover. Well, you never know. Yeah. Center boys first. Yeah, <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> yeah, exclusive speculation, but nonetheless, we've got his first girlfriend, Mavis, coming in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, he, he two pump chump. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, in the case of I know you haven't seen it, the last jewel. Um, 
No, way. again, I, I ordered it. It hasn't arrived. Really oh, annoyed because I wanted no. to watch it before because I've heard good things. Yeah, yeah. I won't give too much away, but... Um, sexual assault, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, really uh, one from sort of different points of view. Um, the way he films that is obviously like pretty, you know, it's quite visceral and quite uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. Um, and the same is employed in Napoleon, even though it doesn't necessarily need to be that way. I yeah. think he's sort of... It's always quite cold, and in sort of his. his Isn't his Napo- Napoleon famed for his small? Oh, really? Yeah. Penis. And is that a riff on that? Is it? Possibly. Yeah. Like it's almost like a joke, isn't it? That, like yeah, I feel like they're riffing mean. on the idea that like these people that have like dominated Europe and done lots of sort of horrible things. It go all boils down to their to the size of the poultry their... genitals. Oh, yeah. There we go. Um, I mean, yeah. At least that'd be my excuse. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I don't know. Like that's something that they play on, and I, I think it's quite interesting. You can't tell whether French are annoyed about that. Maybe then. Yeah, like, and it's also this idea that he wasn't unfaithful because he was fucking unfaithful. He had oh, loads yeah. of illegitimate children. Yeah, yeah. Not loads. He had a few. He was having affairs while she was having affairs. So yeah. it's like, yeah. There's a, there's a bit of, you know, they they use that to leverage this idea of sexual frustration, Napoleon's inability to perform sexually. Mm. It's almost seen in the uh, Josephine's character that she's doing it purely to get some pleasure, what she can't get from Napoleon, which isn't necessarily... It might... There might be some historical basis in that, but to disregard Napoleon's own shortcomings in that area and his own infidelities was a bit strange to me, but... Yeah, um, they mention it. It wasn't a deal-breaker necessarily, but... They do mention it, but in passing. Almost. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like he's boasting about it as well. It doesn't yeah, seem like yeah. it actually happened, which is odd. It's almost like the way you, you ask like a teenager, they lost their virginity, and they go, yeah, loads. Yeah, you know, It's yeah. almost like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, no, there is, a, there is, it is, it is strange in that regard, but I think in terms of the core relationship, the way Scott Scarpa handled it, I think he's actually done quite well. I mean, you know, that it works in the sort of presentation of Napoleon that they're going for. The yeah, idea yeah. of their Napoleon, as we've said. Yeah, you know, he's, he's very much their Napoleon. strange little man, and it, it does work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, Kirby's superb, really good. Mm. I, 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 You know, it's the first time I've seen her in a big role where she's really sank her teeth into it. I know oh, she's okay. done a couple of things for Netflix that I haven't seen, so I don't want to sort of say that this is the first one. Mm. But, you know, I've only ever seen her in like, you know, Mission Impossible and Fast and Furious. And with the greatest respect to those films, <laughs> you're not going to be given a great deal of sort of time to really munch into a role. So yeah, to no. see her in this light, I think it's great. And I hope, you know, it springboards her into lots of other stuff. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I she's got a great presence about her. A real sharpness. A real sort of, it's the, the, you know, like her face is very sort of... A thousand yards stare. Yeah, yeah, she's so good at that. Like, it's mm, almost like communicating so much through a crowd of people, which I think would... You know, benefit her in a lot of oh yeah other sort of direct you know, like someone like um, Celine Sciamma if she ever makes like a yeah you know yeah, like okay. an English language film I think she'd be a great actress for whatever role <laughs> you, know. you heard it from us yeah 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 Go on, Celine. <laughs> yeah yeah um, um, yeah like like we say the, the the battle sequences are excellent and very Ridley Scott like yeah they they the do Austin. really work yeah, yeah they're they, great they are um, great have you ever seen the original film Waterloo no didn't it. I haven't seen it. It's 1970, though, right? Yeah, yeah. I only watched it because my dad, again, was really into it. He was really into Sharp as oh, well. Oh, okay. So yeah. I watched a lot Sean of Sharp grow. Yeah, yeah, I really like it, actually. <laughs> I still quite like it now, but... Oh. They're actually quite good the way they shoot battle scenes because you can... 
this is a bit of an aside, but obviously Sharp doesn't have the budget of Waterloo or indeed mm. Napoleon. So they would often reuse all the actors and the props and stuff, and the way they would shoot things would be quite close. And so they give the impression of a sizable battle. Oh, right, okay. And maybe um, one VFX shot at the end yeah, showing yeah. everyone. Yeah, It's really, really well done, I think. It's worth, there's a few YouTube compilations of like how they, you know, showing their sort of how they suggest scope with so little oh brilliant yeah, okay. yeah it's worth checking out nice but uh yeah the, the the original waterloo is just like loads of like russian soldiers oh okay yeah so yeah. like thousands of russian sort of soldiers and reserves all playing the french and the english and the, the prussians oh really yeah, oh yeah. man yeah because if you want the, the size of the scope of the battle and the size it broke records didn't it? yeah yeah, yeah. It's it crazy was in, it's fucking crazy mm. yeah like Oh, man. And it was sort of reminiscent in that. Obviously, a lot of the scope is going to be done digitally. It's not going to be done physically. Yeah, but, I don't know. But it was shot in sixty-one days, Napoleon. Yeah, there's no way you, you're not. He's doing that, he's famous it? for being very efficient. Ridley, that's Scott. true. Yeah. And I, I think we sort of talked about it before, didn't we? That act actor round table. And yeah, was like, yeah. <laughs> oh, filmmaking so hard. He's like, no, it isn't. <laughs> yeah, he literally just goes. It's all right. Yeah, I I, I can do it, and he did. Fucking hell, like that's a that's a fucking tight schedule for a film of that size I mean think about Apocalypse Now took over a year yeah, yeah. 60 that's two months that is a, that is mental yeah, um, yeah. like a brutal two months yeah he must just he just breezes through it. I think he's sort of one or two takes you know move yeah, on sort of yeah 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 he strikes me as someone who's if you're going to do that in 61 days mm. you're going to be a cocky confident guy and he definitely seems like that <laughs> yeah absolutely um, yeah no the battle the battle sequences i think you know obviously they they are stunning but i, th- I imagine there's a lot more vfx stuff than there would be of course than the yeah, yeah. The 1970s of course they would be <laughs> but they do look stunning waterloo i really liked austerlitz i really I thought was really good um what was the Waterloo was the one where the the formations fuck him at the end, right? The formate the, the yeah. cube like. I mean, he. I mean, uh, it was really close. It was a really. I don't think the film really communicates that too much, but mm. you know, it, the 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 British did nearly lose that battle. It was yeah, really close. Right. Okay. So yeah, uh, yeah. There's a bit of innovation with the use of uh, the square formations to counter cavalry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, like obviously. The Prussians arriving was a key moment that yeah. turned the tide of the battle. It's all like the ghosts in uh, Return of the King. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. yeah, that was that was it. Yeah, that was uh, Aragorn's Return of the King moment. Uh, sorry, not Aragorn. <laughs> well, it was Wellington. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's England's Aragorn. Yeah, <laughs> uh, played qu- quite well actually by Rupert Everett. Yeah, um, yeah, a lot. Of I quite nice liked that little turn of in, mm. in there. Does he get? Doesn't Napoleon? Am I wrong in thinking that right at the end, Napoleon salutes Wellington? Yeah, yeah, okay, I guess because they never met. No, yeah, yeah. The only the closest they come to meeting was on the battlefield. Oh man, okay. Uh, again, presumably that is what what's got a lot of people riled up mm-hmm. because I mean yeah. that that suggests to me like I mean I know that it was a famous defeat and a good visual metaphor for that is him saluting the enemy. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. um. At the same time, yeah, I can understand why that's ruffled some feathers. Yeah, <laughs> I guess there is that sort of bizarre sense of camaraderie that you share with other sort of higher generals and stuff. I mean, the First Maybe. World War, it was quite common that, you know, generals from other, you know, the, the enemy would sort of yeah, fraternise right? with, yeah. the, with, the, with their captors. Yes, yeah. So, 
No, oh, maybe. Maybe mm. there was a shift in, in that sort of behaviour. Mm. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely felt like a sort of little character moment by yeah. Scott. Well. I keep saying Scott as if it's some bloke called Scott who's, who's made the film. Scott Scarper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I yeah, the battle sequences are good. Uh, yeah. I yeah, Austerlitz again, not particularly historically accurate, but stunning visually. Mm. Uh, he does know how to frame a battle sequence. You can't argue with that. No. And even if they do sort of feel a bit awkwardly placed in terms of the version of Napoleon that they want to try and sort of communicate, mm. they are incredible. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. Finally, there's also on the subject of like bizarre sort of cameos from English actors from the comedy circuit. Wasn't the guy from Green Wing in it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's also in uh, A Touch of Cloth. Yes, Tom Boss. Yeah, 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 that is a great. He's TV in it. Show. He's in it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, sort of one of the people that becomes one of the three rulers for a bit of France. Yes, to become, yeah, yeah. When yeah. it was still like um, before, he was just Napoleon was just crown king. Yeah, uh, emperor. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. Odd. There was a lot, a lot of moments where I was like, oh, I recognise that. Yeah, person. yeah, I haven't quite a lot. And it's yeah. not like I, he's, they're popping up in every sort of Ridley Scott movie either. It's just, I, I, he likes filming in England, man. That's probably it. He just, yeah, just draws yeah. from that talent pool, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not, yeah. eh? It's pretty extensive and <laughs> yeah. not used enough, in my view. Certainly in the, in the case of the Elden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. Yes. Outro. Outro. Mm. Questing the cinematic there, 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 there we have it. There we have it. There we have it. Oh. Napoleon. Napoleon. What, what a mixed bag of a movie. <laughs> I, I wouldn't not recommend it, but at the same time, I'd be hesitant to say it's amazing. Like, he, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's on track to do well. Doing all right. Is it? Yeah, yeah, it's not oh. doing terribly. Uh, okay. For a, I mean, it's doing better than Killers of the Flower Moon, which oh, is another okay. Apple release. So Yeah, yeah. I mean... Wacky. There's a broader appeal, though, isn't there, Napoleon? I think just the yeah. way it's approached. You know, yeah. We talk about that sort of, like, perfunctory treatment of the history and the speedy nature of the narrative, but maybe for, like, a more mainstream audience, that's sort of jibing with them more than... Yeah, than, yeah. ...than Claire's the Flower Moon. I also think maybe there's, like, some people have heard about how historically inaccurate it is and, like, well, I have to see this. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, you go yeah. it, You go to it because you're outraged. Yeah. Apparently that's why Da Vinci Code did so well. Oh, really? <laughs> a lot of people were like, I've heard it's shit. I need to see how shit it is because they uh, love the book. <laughs> and yeah. it ended up making loads of money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird how they can sort of shift the marketing strategy. <laughs> yeah. To yeah. be like, it's shit, but... We're going to make money, so who cares? <laughs> yeah, a bit sad yeah, yeah. in a way. No, yeah, that's yeah, true. I don't, yeah, I don't think it would be necessarily fair to, to, to suggest that marketing strategy for Napoleon. I think it's definitely got its its strengths. Oh, yeah, yeah, And absolutely. I will definitely, just more out of intrigue, watch the four-hour cut yeah. just just to see. Maybe we could do like a little, mm, yeah, like a mini-app yeah. over it or something. Yeah, I'd like to. I'm not opposed to seeing it again. I'd be interested to see how uh, how the four hour version pans out. Maybe yeah. watch it over a weekend though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so next week we're going to try something a little bit different. I think a couple of episodes ago we we sort of floated the idea when we were getting excited talking about 
yeah uh uh respective collections and mm. the experience of 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 physical media mm. uh so we're going to do an episode about that yeah 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 sort of fighting the corner of physical media in a digital world yes definitely yeah yeah um we're both i mean you're much more of an extensive collector than i am but i think we both like our sort of collector's editions and uh yeah can often be found in the squirreled away in the, the kind of sort of world cinema section of HMV perusing the Arrow releases. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just think it'd be really interesting to talk about it because it's, uh, you know, like it's one of those things that, we'll go into this in more detail next week, but it's like, you know, it, it seems to be an increasing rarity that people have physical collections of things that you could just get digital versions of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And exactly. I'd be interested to sort of maybe put out like a lot more sort of questions about that what the rationale is and all that we didn't do that for this episode i'm so inconsistent with the fucking instagram there's no wonder we get oh, such little audience <laughs> interaction because i'm just so useless at it but right. no i'd be interested on in that regard because mm, yeah it's something i i just love i can't imagine not having that in, in where i live yeah yeah no but for some people it's just not a real big thing and it'd be interesting to interrogate that and how much yeah. The presence of streaming, etc., has really sort of, uh, oh, obviously, it has. But yeah, you know what what the sort of reasoning is, I guess. Yeah, no, I'd like lo- lo- to discuss that. Can't yeah. wait. Yeah, It'll be fun. Sweet, yeah. nice. Just an excuse for you to go. Oh. <laughs> Movie, <laughs> Movie <laughs> releases, Blu-ray collection, Criterion. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, yes. uh, have a lovely week. Thanks for listening, as always, yes. and. Uh, See you soon. Oh, it's a bit weird to say that. Yeah, see you in the next one, I guess. Yeah. Fuck <laughs> it, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Love you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.